for other people, I think my advice would just be, you know, set a goal and what you want to achieve and stay focused, work hard, you know, anything that's really good in life, it's not going to come easy. It's, it's going to take hard work and you just have to be uh, determined. And, and again, like we talked about before, keep the goals small and achievable, you know, little steps to get you there and, um, and just keep plugging away at it. Believe that anything is possible. Iron Man's motto is anything is possible. Welcome to the Passion Struck Podcast. My name is John Miles, a former combat veteran and multi-industry CEO turned entrepreneur and human performance expert. Each week we showcase an inspirational person or message that helps you unlock your hidden potential and unleash your creativity and leadership abilities. Thank you for joining us today on the show and let's get igniting. Welcome to the Passion Struck Podcast. Today's episode, an extremely personal one for me. Unfortunately, in September of 2020, my younger sister was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And at that point, I went on a worldwide search for pancreatic cancer survivors. And through that journey, I met today's guest. You are in for such a treat with today's episode, and I cannot wait to introduce you to Sydney Hooper. Cindy lives in Ottawa, Canada. She is a mom, wife, triathlete, and has survived pancreatic cancer for eight years. This amazing woman completed the Ironman Canada in the midst of chemotherapy treatment in 2013 and has since finished the Ironman Vichy in France, the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in South Africa, two ITU triathlon world championships in Mexico and Switzerland, the Boston Marathon, and if that wasn't enough, 50K Ultra. Cancer has brought a lot of fear and pain into her life, but it's brought a few huge gifts as well. A huge desire to give back and a love of life she never dreamt possible. In the last eight years, she has raised over $250,000 for cancer research at the Ottawa Hospital by leading several running teams at Ottawa Race Weekend. You are absolutely going to love today's episode, and it is filled with so much inspiration, power, joy, happiness, perseverance. I cannot wait for you to meet this amazing lady. Now, let's get igniting. As I was researching the perfect quote for this episode, I ran across one by Francis of Assisi, who said, you start by doing what's necessary, then do what's possible, and suddenly you're doing the impossible. And when you meet this guest today, you're going to understand the importance of this message. I am thrilled today to have Sydney Hooper, who is passion struck about helping people live their fullest while she raises awareness for fundraising for pancreatic cancer. Welcome to the show, Cindy. How are you today? I'm very good. How are you doing? I am doing good, and I'm, I'm so excited to have you here today. And I, you know, I, I first met you when I was doing web research on pancreatic cancer. Um, and your, your story was so inspirational um, because I was particularly looking for uh, stories of survivors who have, who have beat this deadly disease and, you know, what you've done since your diagnosis has been truly amazing. You know, the purpose of our show is to try to help others understand how they can unlock their hidden potential and ignite and prioritize their passion journeys. But I wanted to start talking to you about, you know, what was your life like before the cancer diagnosis, uh, and and what was life like back back um, eight nine years ago? So I was diagnosed at the very beginning of 2013, uh, and in 2012, uh, the year leading up to that, my life was uh, very full, especially with uh, my husband and my two boys and our triathlon training that uh, my husband and I did together. We had decided. Uh, the year prior in 2011 that we would do our first Ironman together. So an Ironman is a four kilometer swim, a 180 kilometer bike ride, and then a marathon. 
and uh, we decided uh, that we wanted to try doing one and we chose uh, an Ironman close to our home here. Uh, we live in Ottawa, Canada, and we chose Ironman Mont Tremblant. So in 2012, we uh, did a lot of training to prepare ourselves for that Ironman. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We did most of the training together with a great group of friends. And then in August of 2012, we went to Tremblant. My goal was to try to qualify for the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. And I had a really, really good race. I met all my goals, but I missed qualifying by just two spots. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic day. I was super happy with everything I achieved. And because I was so close to qualifying for Hawaii, I decided I'd like to try again. So uh, a bunch of the people that had trained for Ironman Mont Tremblant immediately registered for another Ironman the following summer. So that would be in August of 2013. And this time we decided to uh, do the Ironman in Whistler, BC. So uh, we register for this Ironman and I'm going through the fall uh, training, continuing to train hard for this uh, Ironman in 2013. And uh, everything's going pretty well. And in December, uh, which would be my 50th birthday at the time, I started getting some weird things happening. I experienced um, pain in my upper abdomen, upper middle abdomen a couple of times. Uh, on a few other occasions, I had some mid back pain. And then a few weeks later, I started to have some uh, GI symptoms like um, some diarrhea. I also just wasn't feeling very well, starting to get uh, very tired. But, you know, it was around Christmas and, you know, we were busy and it's the flu season time. So we didn't think too much of it. And then uh, around Christmas, I started getting really itchy skin. And I remember it being uh, so itchy and so crazy because I was actually you know, scratching the palms of my hands and inside right. my ears. So very strange. We didn't know what was going on. And then um, on January 2nd, uh, no, January 1st, uh, I went for a run with my girlfriend um, that was supposed to be just a really easy, fun run. And it was extremely difficult. I remember having to walk up just the slightest of inclines and stopping my Garmin um, and I came home and told my husband about that and then slept for a couple of hours in the middle of the day, which at the time was very unusual for me. So he was getting a little bit concerned about everything that was going on. And then the next morning when we woke up, which was January 2nd, he noticed that I had my eyes were jaundiced so he could see the yellow discoloration in my eyes. Right. And so with everything that was going on, he thought perhaps I had gallstones. So um he is a, my husband is a physician at the Ottawa hospital. So he arranged for me to go in and get some blood work done and uh, an ultrasound to see what was going on. And um, that ultrasound, unfortunately, didn't reveal uh, gallstones. It revealed pancreatic cancer. So when I was yeah, told, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, when I was told, first of all, that, you know, they said, oh, you have a tumor on your pancreas. And I was like, well, a pancreas, I thought we were here for, you know, my gallbladder. And I was just very confused. And, you know, when they mentioned the word tumor, it didn't seem like that big a deal. It's like, oh, well, you know, we'll just get rid of it. And I didn't really even know what the pancreas did. So I thought, couldn't be that important, right? Right. Um, so I, I guess the, uh, the, um, the physician could tell that I, I was confused. And then she finally said, uh, you know, you have pancreatic cancer, to which, you know, that when you hear the, the word cancer, right, you really take notice. Uh, we were shocked, devastated. I mean, I was in the best shape of my life. I was only 50 years old, which is relatively young for this type of cancer. Um, I don't have any family history whatsoever of cancer. I had none of the uh, risk factors for pancreatic cancer. So this somebody telling my husband and I that I had pancreatic cancer was just devastating. And um, she left us alone for a few minutes. And I turned to John and I said, pancreatic cancer. So is this a good one or a bad one to get? You know, we, we had other friends that had right. cancer and some are better than others, right? 
And uh, he said, it's a bad one. It's a very, very bad one. And we just both started to cry. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, and I, I can't even imagine what you were experiencing. And, and as, as we've, you know, gotten to know each other, you know, um, the way my sister found out was not much different than the way you did. She, she was very healthy, always had been a non-smoker, um, in very good shape, yoga, big runner, um, very, very active. And she um, had visited my parents and at the tail end of that visit felt um, a bit tired, um, but just thought she was coming down with a cold. And then, you know, over the next week to 10 days, just felt more and more tired and then had some of the same symptoms. You, um, you know, you, you brought up and went, went in and, um, you know, the doctors thought there was something going on with their bile duct. And so they went in to check that out. And when they, they did, they found, um, pancreatic cancer in, in her as well. And very similar, you know, she's, um, 47 at the time. And, like you had none of the, you know, I, I think people think about cancer and they think it's, you know, you're going to have precursors for it or it's going to, you know, hereditary or something, but she was exactly like you in, in great shape, no indication that this would happen. They have no, no idea why it happened. And then suddenly, you know, you walk in and your life has changed. So, so you, you get this uh, terrible diagnosis and you know, what, what was transpiring over the next days to, to weeks in your mind about it? With pancreatic cancer, um, so the average, average survival for pancreatic cancer is only six months. And 75% of people who get pancreatic cancer die within the first year. Those are the horrible stats. So the first concern was whether or not I was going to be eligible for surgery to remove the tumor. Uh, so 75% of people that get pancreatic cancer are not eligible for surgery and there isn't a chemotherapy that works. So that's why the statistics are so horrible. So our immediate concern was whether or not I was eligible for surgery. So the next day we went back into the hospital, they did a CT scan. And then, um, so that was on Thursday. And then the next day on Friday, uh, I went in to meet with a surgeon who had looked at the CT scan to determine whether or not Right. surgery was going to be viable. And thankfully, um, it was. And so I had surgery the next Monday. So about six days after my diagnosis, I was in the hospital for Whipple surgery. Um, yeah, and for those, for those who aren't familiar, because before I, I had heard about pancreatic cancer, I'd never heard about Whipple surgery. And it, it's not a simple surgery. Um, so can you explain what they what they have to do? So mine was, my surgery lasted seven and a half hours. Um, they removed my gallbladder, uh, bile duct, uh, half of my stomach and half of my pancreas, which is yeah. where the uh, tumor was, as well as my entire duodenum. So it's a huge surgery. And the reason why they take out a lot of things other than the pancreas, which is where the tumor is, is because the chance of of the tumor going outside the pancreas is very high. And so that's why they take out such a, such a large number of internal organs. Um, so my surgery lasted seven and a half hours. And then I was in the hospital for 10 days. Um, and the reason for the long hospital stay is because they're trying to manage pain and make sure that everything's working and I can eat and um, everything is going through. Okay. Right. Of course. So my hospital stay was um, very, very difficult. I had a lot of pain. Uh, my epidural that was supposed to be in for about four days uh, failed after 24 hours. They put it in again, and then it failed again. So we were left with trying to manage uh, the pain from the surgery with narcotics. And it turns out that I'm very sensitive to narcotics. We didn't know that. So um, so I had a lot of vomiting and um seeing things, hallucinations, nightmares. So it was extremely difficult, but I was discharged from the hospital after 10 days and then came home. And it was about, um, 
six weeks, five weeks that I was on narcotics to keep trying to control the pain and just basically doing nothing. Right. So, so how long after the surgery, um, because I, I understand sometimes they'll do chemotherapy and then they do the surgery. And in your case, they went in right away, did the surgery, and then you did chemotherapy afterwards. How, how long was that interval? Uh, chemo started six weeks after my surgery. So they wanted to wait until um, they felt I had recovered enough from the surgery to be able to start chemo. So um, my narcotics for pain medication ended at five weeks. So at six weeks, they started chemotherapy. And uh, so that was around mid-February and my chemotherapy went right through until mid-September. And so you're in the middle of... of I- the way I, I understood it was you're in the middle of getting some of this chemotherapy treatment and you come up with this idea that you want to do this Ironman. Um, how, how did that manifest itself? So as I mentioned before, I, I was already registered for the Ironman right before I got sick. Um, and, and the Ironman is in Whistler, British Columbia, which is, um, an area that I had never been to before. And I was really looking forward to traveling there. I was going with my husband and a big group of friends um, that were going to be doing the Ironman with us. And we had rented a couple of beautiful um, chalets in Whistler. And I was just really, really looking forward to the trip. Um, However, uh, I was also terrified that the cancer was going to come back and, and I wouldn't even live to six months. So there was this, I really, really hope that I'm going to live until August of 2013. But if I do, I really, really would love to be able to make the trip out to Whistler, BC to see that area and make the trip with my friends. So that's kind of how it started was that just became a goal um, to live that long. And then if I did live that long to sort of celebrate it with the trip out to Whistler. And then as um, As I got further into the chemo and further away from the surgery and started to um, do more walking and I would get on my bike trainer in the basement and do some uh, biking and then I was able to get back into the pool. So this was all happening sort of mid-March and then I was like, hmm, you know, if I can make the trip out to Whistler, BC, if I'm still alive, maybe I could try to train and still take part in the Ironman. So I had a follow-up yeah. appointment with my uh, surgeon, uh, my husband. Yeah. I can't even imagine what this conversation was like. Yeah. So I was starting to feel a little bit better. I was on my trainer. I was going out for walks. I was doing a bit of swimming. And I said to my surgeon, so I'm registered for this Ironman in August. And this is like mid-March. And I'm starting to feel a lot better. Do you think it might be possible for me to take part in Ironman Canada? And his reaction was, well, Cindy, I don't even know why a healthy person would want to do that, <laughs> let alone yeah. you're oh going to go through all this chemotherapy. I also had a month of radiation, um, sort of mid-April to mid-May. So that was another, another factor. But, you know, he didn't say no. And uh, so I took that as a, let's just give it a try and see how it goes. So the plan was... Yeah, yep. did I? But I, I did want to ask you: Did while you were going through this thought process, did anyone try to stop and discourage you from con- continuing, or were you getting support along the way? So um, there is very good evidence uh, that supports exercise um, during chemotherapy and and radiation and whatever else type of cancer treatments people might be going through. Um, training for an Ironman is obviously, you know a little bit beyond what those recommendations are. So what was happening behind the scenes, which I didn't really, wasn't really aware of is that my husband, who's a physician was speaking with my surgeon and my oncologist and my radiation therapist to make sure that any swimming, biking and running that I was doing was safe. Um, Right. You know, our, our primary objective was to get me through all of my treatments without getting sick, without my immune system being compromised. So while I was like, just going along doing all my training and, uh, 
um, there definitely were conversations in the background. Um, and John was watching to make sure that, that I was keeping it safe. So, um, there were a couple of instances where we were out on long bike rides and I was getting, um, tired. And when I get tired, um, you know, I stop eating and then I get a little bit grumpy and uh, John noticed on a couple of rides that this was happening. And he just said, Cindy, that's it. You're done. You're not going any further. And a couple of times, like we were pretty far out, you know, from where we live, you know, we would be 75 kilometers out in the country. And I'd say, well, I can't stop now, you know, look at where we right. are. And he would just call one of my kids or a friend to come and pick me up in the car. And so um, he, I also had a coach at the time. And so, uh, my husband, John and, and my coach were both really watching, uh, what was going on. And certainly the amount of training that I was doing and the intensity of the training was completely different from what I had done the year before when I was healthy. So in 2012, when I was healthy training for Ironman Mont Tremblant, I was training about, you know, 14 to 18 hours a week with lots of high intensity stuff while I was going through chemotherapy and radiation, I was only training about, you know, eight to 12 hours a week and everything was very low intensity zone one, nice and easy, just getting out there and, and putting right. some, some kilometers. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it, it's not like you, you don't pick easy triathlon locations. Uh, Mont Blanc, if, if, you know, those who haven't been is a beautiful location that has mountains and ski resorts and Whistler's are even has even higher altitude. So you're, 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 you know, you're going into this doing a behemoth of a, of a triathlon, not, not just, none of them are easy, but this one yeah. had some other factors. So as you're going through this and you're doing your, your training, what, what were the you know, what were the hardest things that you had to overcome on a daily basis? Uh, so my chemotherapy routine was, um, I would go three weeks in a row and then have a week off of chemotherapy, three weeks in a row, have a week off. So the idea of the week off is it's, it gives your time, time for your um, body to rebuild and re-strengthen. So, um, every Friday I would go for blood work and that blood work, you're, you know, white blood cells, red blood cells, all the blood work has to be at a certain level to make sure you're okay enough to go to chemotherapy. Um, and I would go on Monday. Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things. And Indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring. It's more than just a job site. It's a comprehensive platform that revolutionizes the way you find the perfect candidates. With its powerful matching engine and over 350 million global monthly visitors, Indeed streamlines the hiring process, bringing top talent straight to you. No more sifting through endless unqualified resumes. Indeed does the heavy lifting just for you. And what I love about Indeed is its ability to centralize all your hiring activities. From scheduling interviews and screening applicants to messaging candidates, it's all in one place. During my career, I've hired thousands of employees, and I only wish I had Indeed's efficiency and speed back then. And here's a fact that absolutely blows my mind. 93% of employers, according to a recent survey, say Indeed delivers the best quality matches over other job sites. That's quality and speed hand in hand. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash passionstruck. Just go to Indeed.com slash PassionStruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash PassionStruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at PassionStruck.com slash deals. Now, back to PassionStruck. So my blood work always came back uh, with within acceptable ranges, and I would go to my next chemotherapy on Monday. So. I would go Monday at noon and I'd feel okay. I, I went to most of my chemotherapy appointments on my own. I would drive there, get the chemotherapy, drive home. And by the evening when my husband came home, I would start to be extremely nauseous, like to the point where I'm laying on the couch with, you know, with a bucket just waiting. To be right. um, 
and then I was able, always able to fall asleep. Okay. That night. And then, um, by Tuesday, I was still feeling pretty nauseous, but I could get outside, go for a walk or a swim, something easy. And then as the week progressed, I felt less and less nauseated. So by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, I would be able to go out on my bike and do a bike ride, um, and on the weekend, and then it would start again. Um, so one thing my chemotherapy doctor had said that I most likely wouldn't be able to get all 18 rounds of chemotherapy because it is very normal for blood levels to drop. And then you, you have to miss one or two, if not three, that would be completely normal. Right. But I was, I did all 18 rounds. Uh, and she attributes that to the fact that I was very strong, healthy and strong going into the surgery and then very active through all of my treatments. And so I was able to get them all. So that's a really, that's a really positive thing. Yeah, um, it is. The things that were the hardest, that was what your question was. The things that were the hardest were feeling like I wanted to be with my husband and my friends outside training through the summer, because that's, that's what I love to do. You know, some people like to garden or read books, play cards, whatever. For me, I just love to swim, bike and run. So I wanted to be out there with them, enjoying the summer and, and doing this training. And most of the time I was able to, I mean, there were times I wasn't, especially on the Mondays and Tuesdays, but yep. even when I was out there, I, I couldn't do what I was able to do before. And that was really difficult. So it's hard, you know, when you're going through chemotherapy, you're trying to be careful to preserve energy. And at the same time, I was trying to, you know, keep up with my friends with swimming, biking and running. So there was this struggle of not pushing myself, but wanting to be out there enjoying. And then just, you know, the, you know, the nausea, um, I didn't have any other, there are other side effects of the chemotherapy I was on. I was on gemcitabine and um, I would go in and a nurse would check to see if I had any mouth sores. I would say, no, no mouth sores. She would actually make me open my mouth and look with a light. Um, Some people get um, problems with their hands and feet. I never had any of that either. So chemotherapy and radiation for me was a lot easier than what I went through with my surgery. My Whipple surgery was, I found it extremely difficult, extremely painful. Um, It took a long time for me to recover from that. So I think once I had gone through Whipple surgery, the chemo and radiation didn't seem as bad. So, you know, I think maybe for other people that go through chemo and, and radiation without having something like Whipple surgery first, maybe it maybe it makes it more difficult. I'm not sure. I just know that in my experience, um, after Whipple's, the chemo and radiation was uh, not nearly as difficult. Did you know that Forbes magazine recently cited that 70% of individuals who do personal development, masterminds, and one-on-one coaching benefited from better work performance, increased communication skills, and overall better relationships? And we at PassionStruck are obsessed with self-development, coaching, and mentorship. That is why we've created a free resource to help you unlock your hidden potential. Because people doing great things in business and life are just like you, only they've had a coach along the way. And we've got that covered too. Let us show you the systems and frameworks that we teach growth-minded individuals to help them step into their sharp edges execute on their passion journeys and get predictable results time and time again. Go to passionstruck.com slash coaching right now and let's get igniting. I, I don't think you know this about me, but I, um, you know, I, I ended up going to college on an athletic scholarship for uh, cross country and track. And so I've done my, my fair share of, of training and even under the best of circumstances, there are those days that you don't want to get out of bed and you don't want to lace the shoes on, um, you, you know, and it, it, it's a constant struggle, even under the best conditions. How did you get through those periods? Because I, I have to imagine there were days when you didn't want to do the training and you mustered the power within to, to do it. I think I always wanted to do this, the training. I think that's I think that was the part that was different. Um, 
you're right. In, in 2012, when I was training for my first Ironman completely healthy, there were days I was like, oh, it's so hard. I don't have the time. I don't really want to do it. But in 2013, when I was going through chemo and radiation, I just wanted to be outside with my friends. And when I was outside swimming, biking and running, it made me feel good. It made me feel healthy. And I think it was a big distraction from feeling like I was a cancer patient. And so I always yeah. felt better when I was outside training than when I was in the house feeling sick. So I really didn't have any of those days where I didn't want to go out and train. I, I always wanted to because it was such a positive thing for me. It was such a such a diversion. And, and mentally, I think that was very healthy for me to be outside doing something that I loved with my friends and my husband. So, I mean, that's great. And, and so you've, you've done this training. You then go to Whistler in the event the day of the event unfolds. Um, can you, can you take me through, through that and then the event itself? So first of all, when we, uh, realized that we were going to be able to make the trip out to Whistler because I was still alive, um, we never imagined that I would be able to complete the Ironman. Uh, we went out there with the intention that I would do the swim. I knew I'd be able to do the swim because we had swam four kilometers a number of times in our training. Uh, and the way that the bike course is set up at Whistler is that um, the first third of it, we would go one way towards Callahan Valley. Um, sorry, sorry, we would go one way up into Callahan. I think it's like into the mountains and then come back to Whistler. And then the, Second portion was two thirds of the bike course, and we would go the opposite direction, do an out and back, and come back to Whistler. So, our plan was that I would do the swim and at least the first one third of the bike course, and then we would see how things were. Right. And I understand the bike course is not flat at all, it's really tough. Um, so, uh, the swim went really, really well. Um, I actually, I I did it in an hour and 15 minutes, which is actually a really good time. We were shocked. I was expecting to be around an hour 30. So when I came out of the water, my husband and friends were like, oh, wow, that's great. Um, and the timing is very important because there's cutoffs. Um, so if you don't finish the swim by a certain time or you don't finish the bike by a certain time, you can't keep going on in the air. Yes. So the fact that I came out of the water 15 minutes ahead of time was great because that 15 minutes basically gets added on to the cutoff for the bike time, right? Because I have to be done the bike by, let's just say, 3 p.m. And so now I had 15 more minutes for the bike. So the first one, yes. um, we went out and then up into the, um, so there was a climb up into the Olympic Park. So that was tough, but then you come back down and back to Whistler and that went really well. I was feeling great. And so my husband was with me, he biked with me and he said, so do you want to continue? Yes. So the second portion is, um, we went out to, um, Pemberton Valley. So on the way out to Pemberton Valley, you go down, down, down this series of Hills, you get out to the Valley. There's a long stretch flat, you come back and then you've got to come up this series of hills to get back to Whistler. So as we headed out going down the hills, it was fantastic, right? It was super easy and we were going really fast. We get out to Pemberton Valley and we're on the um, flat stretch going out. And as we're going out, we pass by, you can see all these um, farms that are stretching out uh, with these very long driveways, right? So I can see up ahead that there's a bunch of people congregated at the end of one of the driveways and they've got all these signs. And as we approach, I can see that one of the signs says, go Cindy, go. And my name is spelled with an S. So I see on the sign, go Cindy with an S go. And as I pass by, I yell up to John and I say, John, I think that sign might've been for me. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. He says, we'll stop on the way back and say hi. So we go to the end, we go to the turnaround, we come back, we pull up to the driveway, stop, I unclip and I'm standing there and the people are looking at me and I'm like, I'm Cindy, your sign says go Cindy, go. 
And they just like, there must've been 15 or 20 people and they just erupted and they're like, Oh, we're so happy to see you. My story had been on global news right across Canada. And so a lot of people in Vancouver and Whistler had heard the story that I was coming up to try That's to do. So, you know, we're talking, chatting, chatting, and John's like, uh, Cindy, like we have a time limit here to get back to Whistler. So we better go. So we headed back and we start going up these hills and oh my goodness, it was so hard. I, you know, I couldn't even make it all the way up. Some of the, some of the hills I would have to stop halfway and um, at the top of each hill, I think there was about four or five series of hills. And at the top of each hill, John would make me stop and have something to eat because he didn't want me to get, you know, low on energy. And I would say, no, I can't keep stopping like this and eating. We're not going to make the time cut off. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, we have so much time, which I find out later is not true. Uh, but he had to say that to get me to actually stop and, and have something to eat. So we continue, we continue. Oh, my gosh, I felt like I was going so slow. Uh, I was so worried we weren't going to make the cutoff. And we get to the top of the last hill and we're coming into Whistler and, uh, a bunch of my friends and family had came out to watch and they were all cheering and they're like, Oh my God, you made it. You made it. And, you know, John and I just couldn't believe it. Like we were shocked, you know, it, it's a 180 kilometer bike ride. It's really far. And, uh, yes. you know, we just couldn't believe it. So as we're rolling into the transition area, John's like, well, now what do you want to do? <laughs> like we've made the bike cut off. We just couldn't believe that this could even ever happen. And I was like, well, we got to go out on the marathon course and see what happens. So we go into the change tents, get our run stuff on. And we head out on the run course. And uh, um, I think it's about seven hours uh, that we have to complete the marathon, which is a pretty long time. You actually don't have to run the whole thing, um, but you do have to either do a very purposeful fast walk or, you know, jog walk, jog walk. So that was the plan was to, to walk. And then anytime that there was a bit of a downhill, I would try to jog down the hills. So that's what we did. Um, and again, we were out on the run course and uh, there was so many people that, you know, they saw my bib and my name and they would call out and say, Cindy, we heard about you on the news and, uh, you know, way to go. We really hope you're able to finish the Ironman. And so that was really something very yeah, that must have been very very inspirational for you it was it was it was incredible the number of people on the sidelines and other athletes right because there would be people walking behind us or passing us and saying oh way to go and um the marathon course at Ironman Canada um in Whistler is two loops and so we did this first loop fast enough that John said Cindy you can walk the entire second loop and we will still finish before the cutoff. So that's what I want you to do. Cause again, he didn't want me to get too tired and compromise. I still yeah. had three more chemotherapy treatments when I would go back to Ottawa. So I was not finished chemo. I was between my 15th and 16th rounds out of 18. So um, I said, okay. And so we walked the second core second half of the course and we would stop and get food at aid stations and talk to people and um the cutoff that yeah that might have even made it more uh memorable because you you got to interact and you got to experience it yeah. um in a different way and actually see all the stuff that's on the aid aid tables <laughs> at an ironman which you know i had no idea when i did the one in tromblant it was like you know give me a banana and eating it as i kept running type thing and taking some some liquids but it was like oh wow there's pretzels and oranges and crackers and so yeah it was a completely different experience and um the cutoff for an Ironman is at midnight so we knew we had to be done by midnight and we finished at um uh, about 11 30 p.m and so as we came into uh, the finished shoot it was just incredible there was so many people you know it was pitch dark but there was all these lights and people were cheering and uh as we crossed That's the amazing. Line, it was, it was unbelievable. It, it, it was something that we could never imagine ever happening. And I've, I've looked up, I've Googled um, people that complete an Ironman while on chemotherapy and I haven't found anybody else. Um, yeah. So. It's such an amazing feat. It's an amazing feat 
being healthy, much as your doctor said, much, much less. Yeah. Um, yeah. So having a condition. Really, the really great thing is because um, I had started a fundraising page um, about three months into, into after my diagnosis while I was training um, to try to raise money for cancer research. And because my story was covered by global news right across Canada, we were able to raise $50,000. Oh, that's wonderful. As a result of all of this. So not only completing the Ironman, but raising uh, a lot of money, which felt really great. Yeah. And raising awareness for pancreatic cancer. Yeah. So what, what, like what an amazing story and and, an uplifting one under some just amazing hardships you were going through. What, what do you think as, as you were going through that were the biggest things, you you know, outside of, outside of the, the chemo, what were some of the biggest things you had to overcome to complete that journey? You know, probably the biggest thing was, uh, living with the fear. Uh, I, I mean, that's still a reality for me. Um, the five-year survival rate for pancreatic cancer is only 8% and there are no 10-year survival stats and I'm at eight years. So, you know, there's this constant feeling that the cancer is going to come back. Uh, and certainly early on, the risk of the cancer coming back was extremely high. So I would say that during that eight months time of going through chemotherapy and radiation and training for Ironman Canada, my biggest, um, my biggest obstacle, whatever you want to call it, was the fear that I was dealing with. Um, Many, many sleepless nights, lots of tears, Um, you know, not only for me, for my husband, for my family. Um, Living with pancreatic cancer is an extremely, extremely difficult thing. Right. Even to this day. So I would say that for sure was, was the biggest thing. And then just, you know, the side effects of the chemotherapy and radiation and all of the appointments. Um, yeah, it's, it's that whole, that whole dealing with cancer treatments is very difficult. So I, I wanted to ask, do you think you can have success with without adversity or do you think that there's a link between the two whether you're healthy or or not i think people feel adversity i mean always right it's just what's the degree of the adversity um i mean even when i was training for ironman montreal when i was healthy you know there was adversity it's just it was very different than than in 2013 um so your question was like what what is your what is your kind of advice for you know overcoming adversity because you've had to do it in a very extreme way most people don't have to do it to that extreme but you know what advice would you give to overcoming adversities that you face i think you know, breaking down what whatever it is, whatever your challenge is, whatever the difficulty is, is breaking it down into smaller pieces so that it doesn't seem so big. Um, you know, I, I've told this story before. The first time I trained for an Ironman, I had a hard time um, thinking about the Ironman as a whole right? I couldn't think of it. It just seemed way too overwhelming. So I only ever thought about the swim or the bike or the run. I only thought of it in portions. And so with going through cancer treatments, it was the same thing. If I tried to look too far in the future or think about, you know, what I was doing, you know, even two months away or the fear, it was just too much. So I had to stay very much in present you know just think about you know what do i need to do to get through today and not think too far in the future not think about you know the whole thing so i think trying to stay present and trying to break down whatever your challenge is into smaller pieces and only try to accomplish one piece at a time that would be my my biggest uh, recommendation for people yeah it's it's actually a philosophy that that I've implemented myself time and time again over my my life. And you know, I had this 
boss um, when I was at uh, at Lowe's named Steve Stone, and he, you know he he told me it it was great. Um, I had a great talent that I I could see the vision of the future years and years in advance. And he said the issue is, you know, is when you're trying to lead people to a destination, most people can't see that far ahead, and so you have to really break it down into actionable steps that they can accomplish along that journey and break it down to accomplish, you know, goals that you can accomplish. And once you accomplish the goal, then you extend it and extend it and extend it. And it's, it's kind of the same thing you're, you're, you're bringing up. Um, so with that, um, how, how, you know, what advice would you give on, you know, you, you have it adversity, but with adversity can come negative emotions so how do you deal with negative emotions? Uh, so my biggest negative emotions w- would have been the fear. Um, and so for me, it's just trying to block it out. Um, so for you, was it fear that you wouldn't be able to, I mean, there's fear of the, the cancer, but there's also, was there also fear that you wouldn't be able to accomplish the, the goal of, competing in, you know, not only that triathlon, but other things you've done? Um, well, in terms of the Ironman, no, I never had any fear of not completing the Ironman because that was never, that was never even a goal, right? Like I said, our, our plan was to just go and do the swim and the first part of the bike course. And I right. knew I could do that. So, um, my goal wasn't to complete the Ironman. My goal was just to go and participate and hopefully my participation would, increase awareness of pancreatic cancer and raise some money. So I never had a, a fear of not completing the Ironman. Uh, my fear was of dying. My fear was of the cancer coming back. Um, and that at the time was huge. I mean, keeping me up at night, um, tears, so many discussions with my husband. And so the only way that I, I felt I could deal with that was, you know, to block it out. Like there's, the statistics are just so horrible. You can't like, you might say, Oh, well, you know, do some research and find some positive results. I, you know, I went online to try to find some long-term survivors and I couldn't find any, uh, you know, every time I looked online to try to find some, someone who had lived past two years, it was just, it made it, it made it worse because I couldn't find anybody. And then I did find a few people and then at around the two year mark, they died. Uh, so, so the only way that I could deal with that fear is just, you know, blocking it out and, and trying not to think about it, um, which I managed to do pretty well during the day. Cause you know, you're busy and stuff is going on, but it would be at night right. or falling asleep. Or if I'd wake up in the middle of the night and it would come into my mind, it, it, that would be really difficult. So, um, you know, with, but with a lot of things, you can't just block it out, right? I mean, lots of people face adversity and things that have to be dealt with. You, you can't just block it out and ignore it. Um, so I guess that, that, that example of adversity is very different. Yes. I, and, and I've never had to, to have that type of adversity. You know, I've experienced different types of trauma, whether it's been military trauma or physical assault trauma things like that. And, and you kind of have to go through the same thing, but, um, you know, my, my way of coping with it is you have to, f- you have to figure out what those thoughts are that are stopping, you know, that continually build up and, and stop you from sleeping and, and everything and, you know, deal with them in a, in a positive way. So that they're, they're not blocking your path anymore. Absolutely. So now you've, you know, it's been seven and a half years, give or take, since you, you did that triathlon. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to ask, um, you know, now, now that you've had this aftermath, what is your life and the lives of those around you like now compared to where it was before you began your journey? Yeah, my life now is is quite different. I was um, I was working before and I'm not now. I decided after um, pancreatic cancer that I would retire and spend my time enjoying life as much as I could and also trying to give back. So I'm now uh, coaching 
people that want to uh, run or do triathlon. So that's one thing is coaching. Um, I also do quite a bit of fundraising for the Ottawa hospital Okay. and getting a lot of enjoyment out of that. So the way that, the way that I do fundraising is uh, we have a big uh, race weekend here in Ottawa every year. It's in May, uh, Ottawa race weekend, and it's a running event um, with, events, 2K, 5K, 10K, half marathon and marathon. And so I lead um, a running team every year that participates in that race weekend. And in our train through our training and participation in that race, we do various fundraising events uh, to raise money. And so um, that's become a really big part of my life. And then um, since that started, then other people wanted to to have me coach them, you know, around throughout the year, not just leading up to Ottawa Race Weekend, but throughout the year. So really, um, fundraising and coaching, and the other difference now is um, I'm really trying to get my story out into the um, media to offer hope to other people that get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Because, like I said, when I was diagnosed. I didn't have any hope, uh, just a lot of fear. I couldn't find any long-term survivors and that's just devastating. So a big part of what I'm trying to do now is get myself out into social media and the media to offer that hope to other people. And I, and I'm through my own, um, you know, journey with my sister, you know, I've been spending a lot more time doing research and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with PanCan, um, um, a nonprofit organization probably the, the most prominent one around pancreatic uh, cancer. And as I've gotten to know several of the board members, they have told me that these characteristics, these statistics are, are starting to change. And, um, you know, and, and I will, will try to put you in contact with the gentleman I know because he, he now knows a lot of people um, who are surviving past five years. And he even has some, um, that have gone past a decade or longer. So, you know, my my hope, obviously, for you and and my sister is that this research continues to you know to, to develop um, and and evolve, and um, they find more and more ways. Um, so, you recently competed yet another, you know, not a triathlon, but another long distance race uh, a few months ago, if I, if I remember correctly. Can you tell me about that experience? Oh, I thought you did a 50 mile, uh, 50 kilometer, 50 kilometer, uh, 50 kilometer ultra run. Yeah. Um, so uh, my friend Janet and I, uh, we like to go to Tucson every year in December uh to run they have a, an event there in tucson and we like to go there because at the beginning of december here in ottawa it's getting pretty cold and a little bit of snow on the ground all the leaves have fallen off the tree it's kind of grim and in tucson obviously it's beautiful and sunny so uh my friend janet chose this destination in tucson at the beginning of the december also because it's for my birthday um and we go down there and we spend some time in the sun and we do a race, a half marathon. Once I did the marathon there and uh, we do a little bit of Christmas shopping and then come home. So it's become a really nice annual uh, thing for us to do together. And uh, in 2020, it would be the Tucson marathons uh, 50th anniversary of, of being around. And so they decided to add a 50 kilometer uh, ultra uh to their marathon and so i said to my friend janet i said whoa that would be fun to to try that um janet has only run one marathon i've run around three or four and mm -hmm. so i said this would be a, an interesting thing to try and i asked her if she would do it with me and she agreed and then because of covid uh, in 2020 tucson marathon had to cancel that event and so instead of us just not i mean we knew we couldn't travel to Tucson anyway, but then they actually canceled it. But we decided we would try to run the 50 kilometers here in Ottawa and again, make it into a fundraising opportunity. And so we started our training in August and we 
trained through until we ran the 50 kilometers at the end of October. And uh, we raised just over $20,000. And uh, we did actually complete the 50K. And we were both pretty happy that we were able to do that. That's that's great. That was a huge goal for both of us. And, uh, and, and we accomplished it. So accomplishing it as well as raising over $20,000 was, was. Yeah, those are both, both fantastic. Um, So I, I did want to, so if I I did want to give a couple things, um, give you the chance to, to give a couple tidbits here. If, if people were interested in having you coach them, um, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, Well, the easiest way to get a hold of me is through email. and my email is Cindy with an S S I N D Y hoop at gmail.com. Um, I'm also very active on, especially Instagram. Uh, and my, my handle there is sin hoop S I N H O O P. So people can easily reach me through Instagram. And I'm also on Facebook as Cindy Hooper with an S. Um, so that would be how anybody could reach me. And I'd be happy to love to hear from any of your listeners. Okay. And if um, any of the listeners would like to learn more about um, pancreatic cancer and how to help um, rid the world of this disease, what are some of the better um, sources that you have found? Well, so as you mentioned, PanCan is an incredible resource in the United States. And here in Canada, um, there's probably two sources that are really good. Uh, I would say Pancreatic Cancer Canada is one of them. And the other is Craig's Cause, which is um, an organization uh, on the East Coast. So Pancreatic Cancer Canada or Craig's Cause would be the best two in Canada, in, in my opinion. Okay. And, and I did want to, you know, kind of, kind of ask you a couple um, summary question. You know, I, I consider you such a winner for everything that you have had to overcome and accomplish. Um, for the listeners out there, how do you develop a winner's mindset, especially when you're faced with what you were faced with? I guess there's probably a couple of things about my personality that are, you know, innate that um, that I think I was born with. I don't think, I mean, I probably developed them to a certain extent, but, you know, first of all, I have a type A personality. Um, I'm extremely driven to achieve things and whether that's, you know, going to university, getting a good job, um, working really hard, uh, everything that I do, I do at a hundred percent. Um, I'm a very hard worker, uh, and I'm also very competitive. So when it comes to athletics, Uh, you know, when I went to run my first marathon, it wasn't good enough to just complete it. I wanted to qualify for Boston. And, you know, everybody said to me, Oh, no, no, you don't qualify for Boston on your first marathon. And I was like, why not? (laughs) And uh, I said, I set out to do that and did it. Right. So um, same with when I did my first Ironman, I wanted to qualify for the world championships. And again, everyone's like, Oh, you don't do that on your first Ironman. You just want to go out to complete it. But I was like, no, I'm going to give it a shot. And so I trained super, super hard and, uh, and I was almost successful only missed, as I told you by two places. So, um, so I'm just, you know, very, very hard worker, very driven, uh, very motivated to succeed and, um, and competitive. And so I think having that type of personality really helps to, you know, develop that winner's mindset, because for me, um, if you're not succeeding and achieving and, and doing really well and being busy and working hard, uh, that just wouldn't seem, uh, what's the word? Uh, I, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't feel fulfilled, you know, if I wasn't working hard and achieving and doing well. Um, for other people, I think my advice would just be, you know, set a goal and what you want to achieve and stay focused, work hard, you know, anything that's really good in life, it's not going to come easy. It's, it's going to take hard work and you just have to be uh, determined. And, and again, like we talked about before, keep the goals small and achievable, you know, little steps to get you there. 
and um, and just keep plugging away at it. Believe that anything is possible. Iron Man's motto is anything is possible, and uh, I had that put on. You know, we we I, I designed some shirts that um, my friends and family and athletes wear. Uh, and there's two things on it, two things in particular on it. One is anything is possible. And the other motto that I believe in is um, MEMC, uh, make every moment count. So, you know, set, set big goals, dream big, work hard, and uh, believe that anything is possible. Okay. And I guess I would I would end with this. Um, I, I always like to end the episodes with this question. Um, if there was anyone alive or deceased that you could meet, who would it be and why? Mm, so many different people come to my mind. It's hard to choose uh, a person in particular. I think I think maybe my answer would have to be Martin Luther King. Oh, interesting. And 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 why uh, Martin Luther King? Oh, just everything that he achieved and the changes he made to history. I think it would be incredible to just sit down with him and, you know, hear how he thinks and what it was like for him, everything that he went through and achieving what he achieved. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah. You know, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a great example. And it, um, I, I remember when I was, um, in my first year at the Naval Academy, we, during it, kind of between our first year and our second year, we had these leadership, um, sessions and I, I got to have be taught by, uh, two, two great admirals, um, vice Admiral Lawrence and, and Admiral Stockdale. And they both had been prisoners of, of war. Um, and it was interesting because both independently said that they have no regrets about being, that they were a prisoner of war. And then a few years later, um, I met Senator John McCain and he said the same thing. And in fact, they said it, that that adversity and struggle in their life ended up being one of the most positive things, um, that influenced what they did with the rest of their life. Um, and I think much could be said the same with uh, Martin Luther King. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, if I'm, if I think of a Canadian example, it would, I think it would have to be uh, Terry Fox. Um, I mean, he faced such adversity at, at such a young age and, uh, and what he did with that and what he accomplished and everything that's happened since since his, his, you know, his death, I mean, he just really changed the way that, um, I mean, he's just changed so many things in Canada with regards to cancer awareness, cancer fundraising. Um, so he would be another person that would be incredible to sit down and talk with. That's great. And and I'm going to end on, on this question. Um, if any of the listeners who, um, are here today um, are faced with a personal illness or a diagnosis of of cancer. What advice would you would you give them about you know how to deal with it? I think the biggest thing is trying to stay positive and hanging on to hope that everything's going to be okay. That was uh, probably the most difficult thing for me was dealing with the fear and the uncertainty and. And so trying to stay hopeful and positive and strong through, you know, especially through the treatment, I think is, is huge. And also trying to stay active. I think a lot of people, when they get diagnosed with cancer and are starting to go through treatments, feel like they need to just um, save up all their energy to be able to, you know, keep their immune system high. and and be able to deal with the cancer treatments. Um, I personally think it's very, very important to stay active. And, um, and now there's a lot of research supporting that as well. So, you know, make sure you, you get outside for some walks, 
Um, if you enjoy, you know, gardening, I mean, that's an activity or, um, you know, cycling. So try to stay active, try to stay as positive and hopeful as you can. And, um, and just believe that you're going to get through it. Well, great. Well, thank, thank you so much for, for sharing your inspirational story with our listeners. And I'm so glad uh, to have learned more about your story. And uh, finally got to meet you face to face via this um, medium. Same here, John. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. As I said, it's very important to me. And it was really nice to meet you. And um, it'll be It'll be nice when we're emailing and being in touch uh, in the future that now we have a, a face to put to the name. So thank you. That was such an inspirational message today from Sydney Hooper. What a story of perseverance, overcoming the odds and not giving up. I am so ecstatic that she was able to be on the show and tell her story. And I hope that through this, we have brought more awareness to pancreatic cancer, how she defeated it and is living a passion-driven life today. And as for my sister, she is also living a passion-driven life. We have had our ups and downs, going from stage one cancer, finding out she had stage 4B, to then miraculously that cancer disappearing. And she was recently able to go through the same Whipple procedure that Sydney did eight years ago. Thank you so much for listening and watching to the show and keep on igniting your passion. Thank you so much for joining us purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to the Passion Struck Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our passion struck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us. 